Hello everyone and welcome to the next episode of Word Designer. Today our guest is Basim Albaker, UX researcher at Dance. Very happy to have you here today, Basim. Yeah, super happy to be here and so, uh, happy Friday. <laughs> <laughs> so could you please tell us about the most important points in your career? So what shaped you as a designer? Oh, this is a very great question. Um, so... I think I would probably start with like not the highlight of my career, but the low light of my career. Uh, when I was fresh out of university, uh, I studied something completely unrelated to what I'm doing now. I did business studies with Japanese language, and I just really wanted to work and live in Japan. And uh, I worked for a very traditional, very big Japanese company. And let's just say it was not exactly... Uh, the nicest experience. <laughs> it was um, it, it 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 was very good in shaping me as a designer because it actually got me on the path to doing design and getting me out of sales. So um, that experience at the very early part of my career uh, led me to sit down and really think what it was that I wanted to do with my life. And um, I was basically from that point getting closer and closer to tech uh, and like the creative industries, and eventually found. UX design, and the rest is a six-year-long history as a researcher. Awesome. And do you have a favorite sector to work with after those six years? So I guess I'm figuring that out as we go along. So uh, for me, um, I've been lucky enough to work at a variety of different uh, products and, and companies, uh, startups, that kind of thing. Um, and I started my career at SoundCloud, uh, which I'm sure many people are, have heard of before. <laughs> uh, and so that was really interesting to get to understand like music streaming and like those kinds of industries. And eventually over the, the last couple of years, I've worked in education and uh, now I'm working in mobility. Uh, and it's the first experience I've had working with a physical product. So I would say um, I'm enjoying the variety that different industries can give. And uh, I'm particularly enjoying mobility, health, um, and something with a physical product is just super interesting. What type of physical product did you work on? So currently I'm working for Dance, which is an e-bike subscription uh, service, uh, which just launched in Berlin and Hamburg. Uh, and the physical product is the actual bike, which we um, offer as a uh, subscription to our customers. So um, I think that's the most obvious physical product, uh, but uh, I've also been enjoying working within physical spaces. Um, just yesterday, I was at the Berlin-based workshop where they repair the bikes and uh, do quality checks and stuff and um, was observing a mechanic do their thing. So that's also super interesting for me. But are you kind of redesigning the bike? Because that can be interesting because bikes have been with us for centuries <laughs> yeah oh yeah uh, for sure yeah i actually i'm looking right now i have this big fat book called the history of bicycles on my bookshelf <laughs> so <laughs> yeah they, it, they've been around for a while i think um, my role uh, as a researcher uh, within the context of hardware is um, actually quite interesting and something i didn't realize until um, i got into my current company and it's that Hardware works and operates on a very different time cycle um, to the rest of the different business areas at Dance. So what I'm essentially doing when it comes to hardware stuff is um, trying to make sure we make the right decision 
in hardware that we can still kind of uh, get our input on. And uh, yeah, collecting feedback from people who are like doing the pilot programs and understanding like, okay, uh, what should we work on for the next generation of bikes, which might be one year or two years away already at this yeah. point. And do you think that good design, yeah, what would you say? What are the qualities of good design? Let's put it this way. The qualities of good design or good designers or, or both? Good design. Good design. Yeah. Mm. If you're asking me personally, uh, I think good design is something that makes you feel something. Um, I, well, uh, ideally not make you feel frustration or anger or uh, anything like that. But like um, those little moments in life when something's been designed to actually get an emotional reaction from you, whether it's a smile or a laugh or something like that, that's for me what really makes good design. I think it's really hard to get those those moments right. Um I, I use this example a lot. I used um, a food delivery service not too long ago uh, to, uh, it was during the pandemic actually. And I uh, picked up a pizza from my local pizza place and uh, I loved the pizza so much. I went again <laughs> the next week. And uh, when I picked up my order for the second time using this, this app, using the service, um, I got like a little handwritten note saying like, Hey, thanks for coming back. Um, we hope to see you again soon. And it's just like, ah, you know, they actually inserted this tiny little thing, just one sentence written on a piece of paper um, that was branded by the service uh, yeah. and I think written by the restaurant. But they did something which made me smile and I'm telling you about it now. I told yeah. other people about it um, when I went back home. And I think for yeah. me, this is uh, really, really what makes good design. Like that's the thing that those small things can mean so much, and yeah. yeah, sometimes the let's say the stakeholders, they they don't look at this this way. Mm. Yeah, they see the broad picture, the whole company. They look at revenue, and the market, and yeah. fine. But that little, little sent little short sentence can mean mm. so much to get clients and to yeah build that relationship that yeah, flourishes in the future. Absolutely. And I think it's just so we're living in a, in a unprecedented time for many people. Like it's, it's definitely strange times, difficult times, um, you know, anxieties on the rise. Uh, and it's, it's little moments like that where they feel genuine and put a smile on your face that can like really, uh, you know, lift your mood, uh, especially in difficult times. I think that's really. That's true. And do you think that a good designer should seek critique and feedback? Because not everybody likes to receive critique. <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, I, 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 it's, you know, even though I'm a huge, huge uh, backer of getting feedback, um, uh, I still sometimes receive something that, you know, maybe I wouldn't go as far as to say upsets me, but makes me feel maybe a certain like discomfort but that being said feedback is so important it's 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 about raising awareness to things that to behaviors and um you know maybe aspects of how you work that you don't know that's the like and i think in to re actively seek that out is like to actively 
better understand the perceptions of the people that you work with, things that you, as I said, might not be aware of. And just, it, I think it makes you a better um, person to kind of work with. And if we're all seeking better ways of being better people at work, um, I think that's, that's really like practical and, and useful. I will say though, that because feedback is based on people's perceptions, perceptions aren't always accurate. And you have to sometimes recognize when someone's perception maybe isn't like resonating or it just doesn't necessarily like, like if I gave feedback to someone who um, builds semiconductors, I mean, what am I really going to be able to say? And you know, I think that that can also happen in the workplace sometimes. Um, I think feedback is a gift, but we should also recognize that it's built on human perception and human like, you know, ways of seeing the world. So it's also yeah. flawed sometimes. That's a great answer. May I ask, ask you, um, um, a, it's, it's a very personal question, but um, you are yeah. UX researcher, right? Yeah. Mostly. Yes, I am. Yeah. Um, how your day looks like um, business day? So um, at my current company, we're around, I think, 50 or 60 people. Uh, I work within the software um, group and I regularly um, chat with designers and product managers to um, essentially plan, prioritize and just do uh, research projects. So I think a day-to-day will be very different depending on what phases of the projects that I'm in. But now, you know, it's January. We just like basically um, kicking things off again after people have been away from holiday. So I'm doing a lot of side-by-side planning of projects right now. And um, I guess one thing that I also do very regularly is um, I uh, actually present research findings and um try to be that voice of the customer in different meetings. Uh, and I have a, t- every two weeks I have like a repeating slot in our company, all hands meeting where I just present a quick summary of what we've been learning or even just show like a video or um, read out some quotes um, because I think it's important for everyone to um, empathize and, and learn about the customer. Um, and it's also an opportunity for me to do my terrible stand-up routines. <laughs> Uh, I've done some quick research about you. Yeah. Um, and um, I would say that I would call you a um, personality researcher, personality designer, not the mm. product. Um, so is it something like a, to, to, to create a product? It's, it's all about, you know, understand the, the needs of the people, the personality um, needs. Like, yeah, yeah. It's such a big part of it. I, I, I think... What I try to do is to like align what the needs of the business are um, with what the needs of the users are. It's not about swinging in one direction all the time, I think. And I think um, it's also, I don't like to think of it like a pendulum, you know, you don't want to swing from one to the other to the other, but it's about trying to keep um, making sure that you're listening to people, that you're like, doing these discovery bits of research so you can actually innovate and provide things that people maybe didn't even know that they needed just yet. Um, And yeah, really trying to feed that back into the product and 
make sure that, um, yeah, make sure that the business is making, uh, like needs in the interest of the people that will eventually buy the product. Um, I think that's also speaks to the fact that we try to speak to people who are like, of course, already using our product, people who are maybe very engaged, very, very, um, let's say more technical savvy, that kind of thing. Um, but we also try to speak to people who are using competitors products, people who are maybe, um, anxious about getting on a bike and really just understanding like a full spectrum of people and their needs because, um, just because they're not a current customer doesn't mean that they can't be later down the line. Or, um, I think it's, it's also super interesting when you try to think about like, okay, what would our service look like without the bike? Like even asking those like challenging mm-hmm. questions, like, um, but that's, that's uh, yeah, that could probably fill the, the time slot, <laughs> all of these philosophical questions. Like what, does, what like, is a bike nice when question. it doesn't have wheels? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like not everybody asks this kind of question. <laughs> so yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And do you think that some businesses are creating problems instead of solving them? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I like, oh, it, so I've gone back and forth on, on like whether I should like name some of the things that are irritating me in the world at the moment, but it's, it's not my place to, to sit here and talk about what I think is wrong. Um, but I am seeing certain products and certain um, things which are like, let's say, very popular in a specific moment. Um, and I really, really don't like when um, companies, corporations, businesses that are already way too rich and are looking to line their po- pockets even more. I, I just really don't like it when they try to create this sense of FOMO, like fear of missing out. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think you can probably do the math and make some assumptions about some of the things that I'm talking about. But if you see a, a like a CEO of a corporation talking about how you need to get on this uh, thing because it's the future of the world and, you know, blah, 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 um, <laughs> you really have to, you really should be a little critical of that. And you should really think, okay, are they saying this because it's for the good of pe- the people or the planet? Or is it because it's uh, it's an easy way to make money, no. and and that that is what I think is the b- biggest problem. Like um, making people feel, making your average person feel guilty that they're not part of something when that thing is just a profit exercise. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, um, so taking it it out is the have you. Did you participate in many projects, many um, products which are not directly related with the business and with huge focus on the income, more like a charity or that kind of? Uh, I did a I did a volunteer uh, research project. Um, it must have been around the start of COVID, actually. Yes, it was. It was. It was around the start of. Um, like the first lockdown that I'm sure many people can remember. Uh, and uh, I worked with a, an organization that was looking to create like a course and a set of resources that was all um, 
designed by like various psychologists, like experts in, in mental health. Um, and the idea was uh, to try and like lean into some of these um, different feelings that people might be feeling when it comes to COVID isolation, dealing with um, death and mortality. Um, and uh, that was super, super interesting um, because uh, yeah, we were, we were all like essentially volunteers working on this project and we were trying to understand um, uh, how people were feeling during lockdown, having those like, you know, um, very, I'd say tender and, and, and um, intense conversations uh, about these difficult feelings and uh, using that to try and actually um, steer the scope of the course and what, what topics we should um, potentially include, but also just how is someone who is dealing with extreme levels of anxiety best uh, positioned to learn in a course? That's also like, that was also super interesting. Um, and we also uncovered like certain like um, things that maybe were comfortable to some people in that context, but not to others. So um, yeah, I can't say too much more about it because it was a fairly short volunteer project, but um, that was super interesting. And it was just really nice to work on um, a subject that was essentially affecting everyone uh, in the world yeah. to some degree. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think the only other thing I can think of, which is maybe more on the commercial side, is um, I worked um, I worked on a project uh, at one of my previous companies that was essentially like um, trying to launch a better partnership with a really, really big key like player within um, tech, and it was one of the most fun projects I've, I've worked on to this date. So. Um, yeah, that was really cool too. Nice. And Basim, now comes the yeah, my favorite question. Mm-hmm. If you had a billion dollars to work on solving any problem in the world, what would yeah. you work on? Um so I'd probably speak to a financial advisor <laughs> about like how bad that would be my first thing. I wouldn't tell any of my friends because maybe they would be like hoping to get, get like a couple of free dinners out of it. Um, no, I'm joking. My, my friends are nice. Uh, but I, I would, um, I would, yeah, I, I have been very interested in um, uh, this like concept of trying to do like, net positive benefit uh when it comes to which charities i donate um i actually do like quite a lot of research in terms of like how the charities that i donate to actually use their resources um and i think when it comes to like net positive benefit i think the thing that comes up time and time again is uh just reducing mortality rates so in a time in a time before covid I think um, my answer would have been very different, but now I would think that if I had a billion dollars, I would be trying to um, maybe just make vaccines more widely available in, in various different countries. I mean, it's, it's, this is all probably stuff which is happening in the background. Um, that being said, I think um, no matter how available you make vaccines, we do have the, the very prevalent issue that there is a widespread um, like 
very widespread trend of uh, misguided information or incorrect yeah. information being shared on um, various social networks. And they're just, I think if there was some way to also treat that underlying problem, I would, I would really like to, because um, I think I, I can't think of another uh, moment in time where there was so, uh, so much vaccine skepticism. Uh-huh. And I, I, I don't, I don't judge people necessarily for the views that they have, but I think, uh, I think any corporation or any um, like news source that is actively spreading misinformation to scare people or to push a prop, uh, some kind of agenda, I think that's, I think that's scary, and I think it probably will cost a lot of money to, <laughs> to work on untangling that. Um, yeah. And yeah. it can cost many people lives. That's an, another yeah. part. Because we have the vaccines. You can yeah. be more safe. It's not like you will be safe forever, but yeah, mm-hmm. it, you will be better off than without it. But still, so many yeah, people and just don't want to yeah, even consider the, to get vaccinated. Yeah, and, and this is... Yeah, I think... Um, I, I, I haven't uh, been able to like size the, the kind of severity of the issue. Um, but I, yeah, I, I know that uh, this combination of um, misinformation and also the fact that it's first world countries that are like um, basically getting the first priority like shipments for vaccines. Um, I think that that's going to, keep us in a more um, kind of difficult situation for longer. And it's also, as you said, costing people's lives. Um, So, yeah, I, I, I hope, I hope, (laughs) I hope someone out there who does have a billion dollars is working on that and not working on sending themselves to space uh, on a joyride. And do you have any idea how this might come true? Because I'm just wondering about that. And um, previous um, U.S. president, mm-hmm. uh, Donald, he said that um, he was repeating that um, the majority of the, of the, of the you know, news is a fake news, right, everywhere. Yeah. And, and looking now where this all, you know, global communication goes, um, um, goes to, it's, it's all about fake news, right? Um, yeah. Um, and now looking at the artificial technologies and anything like that, which, which comes to, to, to life, um, they become probably, it will be more than that, that we have now, yeah. that we are facing now. So uh, absolutely. Uh, any idea how this may be done? It is it's very difficult question. <laughs> it is. Um, but I think, uh, it's a very difficult question. And I think you're absolutely right, especially with like the way that, um, Deep fakes uh, are going these days. Um, you know this this technology that uh, essentially allows you to create something in someone's likeness from picture or video footage and using AI and stuff. Um, it is getting harder to to really figure out what's real and what isn't real. And um, I think that maybe there isn't like a an, uh, like a real easy way to solve this, except um, everybody as you know, individuals, um, and, you know, within the uh, friend groups and social groups and families that you're in, I think everybody has a responsibility and everybody also has the time to 
do research into topics, speak to experts, like, like speaking to experts is like one of the key things. Um, like if it, like if I had a health problem and I went to the doctor, um, then I would probably trust their years of medical school, um, in telling me what the issue might be. It doesn't mean that they're always going to be right. doesn't mean that like maybe they have misdiagnosed me, but to, to go actively go out there and say that what scientists and, you know, medical professionals are working on is fake news and they're implanting stuff in your bodies. And it's, it's just not productive. And I think the, um, I would also hope that, um, companies that are, you know, certain social media giants are, are sitting on their own independent research that shows that social media is damaging for people's health. And I, I think maybe we need to also hold them a little bit more accountable. Um, you can always speak to your, um, local, um, like people in government and politicians. Um, I think, um, if you go on to any like uh, political office website, you can find the details of people that you can reach out to and you can send a letter, you can sign petitions, like um, signing a petition takes like all of two minutes. And um, if enough si signatures get, you know, assembled on a topic, then it will likely be, be discussed in a forum where changes can happen. But yeah. Uh, a fear of, of, of continuing to ramble on about this. I think it's, uh, I think it's a important thing to also note that it's not about like alienating these people who have these beliefs either, because, mm -hmm. um, you know, I have my own personal views on things. Other people have their own personal views. Um, and I think there's always a reason for why somebody believes something. So if you're, willing to sit down and listen to them um maybe they'll be willing to sit down and listen to you too that's that's the researcher speaking i think uh but i i truly believe that that's that's very interesting because i'm i i personally work um or on, on the project for humanitarian project um yeah um and it is dedicated for the recipient of aid and mm. what we are going to do what we are going to achieve is get um let the people um, speak how the donations uh, are spent to. Um, if they are reach, right. reaching really people at the at the Zambia and the Philippines, uh -huh. um, so we are trying to uh, a bit you know um, leverage the the voices of the people and let them hear at the different levels. So so that's the trying to you know change the direction um, that yeah we are helping people but. Do you? Do you really? So, mm. so it's like a, something similar. <laughs> so I was, yeah, I was yeah, wondering about, about your opinion here. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, this, is, this is really silly and I forgot the... Oh, effective altruism. Um, if you're interested at all in, in any of these topics that we've spoken about, um, effective altruism is a, is a kind of school of thought that does really focus on the... Um, the net positive benefit that uh, you can do as an individual and, and that you can um, kind of do when you support uh, organizations. Um, I'm not saying it's like the only thing to consider, but it's really interesting. And um, yeah, I would, I would recommend checking out some, some reading on that topic. If, if you're 
at all interested in that too. <laughs> we do. Thank you. And Basim, we know that yeah. in design there is yeah lots of materials. There is dribble. There is this design, that design, and yeah, we tend to compare ourselves to others. Yeah. So, what effect does it have on the mental health? Yeah, I, I feel like um, I feel like if you constantly compare yourself to others, then you're not really looking at yourself, and and I think that that's um, I think that that's like a sad reality of of what you know how we're living these days. And um, if you're looking at um, you know if you're scrolling through your phone and you're seeing like a very carefully curated set of pictures from someone's holiday or like specific angles and specific like um, tools to make someone look a certain way. Um, I think it's natural to look at yourself in the mirror and be like, what am I doing with my life? But I, I, I really think that we have to recognize when we are looking at like a fabrication, right? Like it's um, if, if you are comparing yourself to like a static image that has been doctored, that has been very carefully crafted, um, then it's, yeah, it's just not healthy. And I think the um, one thing that I heard about recently, which I think is quite interesting, is the idea of like trying not to compare yourself to others, but comparing yourself to yourself. And I think that that's like quite an interesting thought process because if I compare myself now to even just let's say a year or two ago, I can definitely say that I've like made progress in some areas. I've um, overall become like, I think a, a calmer and a little bit more at peace person. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, if I look back in time, it's, it's uh, it's a different story. So I think it's great to draw inspiration from other people you look at someone's portfolio or you look at someone's Instagram, like maybe that can like give you some ideas. Um, maybe that can also like push you to, to like work on a goal. But I think doing it at the expense of your own health and happiness is, is not, is unfortunately very possible, but I, I would hope that, um, yeah, I would hope that more people like, uh, are aware that, constantly comparing yourself to others is doing you a disservice because anyone who's listening to this or watching this right now, you are already a great person and you deserve all the love and respect and um, happiness in this world. So um, don't forget that. Yeah. I've written this down, compare yourself to yourself because yeah. that's a brilliant thought. Yeah. It's find inspiration um, in others. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's uh, a great summary. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, um yeah and i and you know i think that's going back to this topic of feedback it's it's also um useful to like maybe save those bits of feedback from you know over the years and also just see how far you've come um also i've seen many people i haven't done it myself but i think it's quite interesting this idea of doing a end of year reflection so sitting at the end of year and like reflecting on how your year was and um, like what milestones you hit, what went well, what maybe didn't go so well. Um, 
and this is a reflection is basically a feedback that you can do by yourself. Yeah. Um, so there's, you, you don't have to like wait until tomorrow to do that. You can, you can really just do that at any time. And I think it's really, yeah. Feedback and reflection are both really great tools and um, like not just understanding where you're at and where you'd like to go, but also validating uh, and like, feeling like some sense of like purpose and fulfillment yeah and thanks to it you can feel better with yourself mm. that's the other thing because we sometimes tend to forget about thinking about ourselves and yeah. what we can do to yeah, improve our lives so very often those are those small things that we mentioned before that yeah can really change our everyday like even yeah saying thank you to someone close to you or i don't know calling a relative that you didn't talk for some time yeah so there's there's like a really interesting um video by this um i i love this uh this youtube channel so um i'm gonna i'm gonna give them a bit of free promotion uh they're called kurzgesagt uh they do these animated videos about different topics in science and uh different topics in like basically culture the world psychology everything like that and they did a great video on um why gratitude is a remedy for depression i don't know if that's the exact title but i think that's essentially what the um video covered and um it's just a really interesting concept how being grateful for things and and uh, exercising and these like um like some routine where you where you give gratitude to the world or to others or you just sit down and say okay I'm grateful for the fact that I'm thirsty right now and I have a glass of water right next to me. Something super simple, um, like getting into that habit uh, is somehow proven to, to relieve some um, levels of uh, like sadness, anxiety, depression, that kind yeah. of thing. I mean, depression is a, is a difficult one because um, it's, more it's, it's a medical thing, but it, but it's uh, nevertheless uh, watch the video because um, I'm, probably maybe misremembering a few things <laughs> and i i don't want to spread fake news so anyway. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> yeah what would you say how can we improve the relationship between developers and designers because yeah, both teams mm. are working on projects that can change the world and can make the yeah. world a better place but if there those teams aren't aligned then there can be more problems than solutions this is this is a very good question because you are facilitate uh, facilitator of the of the of the personality, like I said, and I, mm-hmm. I know that you have a huge experience in um, taking out, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's. Uh, I think the the simple answer, of course, this uh, your your mileage may vary, but like the simple answer is make time and space to actually like listen and align and um, like. Essentially, I think uh, I like to. I like the fact that I'm in the software team right now in my current company because I get to be a part of these conversations, either as a listener or as like a participant, to understand what like technical debt is in that, like what um, concerns they have with like uh, the way that the product might be heading, um, and. When it comes to research, I like always try to make sure that we are like listening and hearing like the needs of different stakeholders. And um, I 
also sometimes like to do an exercise where we let's say let's say we're working on a brand new feature or a brand new like set of features even um and uh we do research and then you know designers work on prototypes and then we maybe user test that um and then we essentially land on a couple of like feature ideas uh that have been validated and backed up with research that's not the like you don't just hand that over in my mind i think um it's really good to try and like prioritize that and uh, work with other stakeholders in the business, including developers to collectively prioritize things and even like maybe rank them. Um, like for example, you could do one axis with user value, but then you could do another axis with technical difficulty to implement or time to implement. And then you can start plotting your feature ideas and user stories on there and get a sense of like, actually, okay, so what, might be the most impactful to work on um, without like a huge strain on resources and time um, and trying to like really just um, collectively hear those voices and prioritize it that way. Um, personally, I think that that's like the, the, the best way to go about these projects. And I'm just also really thankful that I can be part of a team where I get to like, understand how logic works in the context of coding because it is complicated like i i feel for developers like as well like it's it's not it's not an easy job um and yeah that's those are those are my thoughts essentially um i i i think one thing that's also been really successful is um i don't know many companies do it differently but like uh, at my previous company, we would do sprint plannings and, you know, that would happen every two weeks. And, you know, as a researcher in that company, I was working with many, many different like, um, feature teams, clusters, that kind of thing. But I would make time to show up to like maybe 20 minutes of that sprint planning and then share some recent research findings that was relevant to that feature. Um, talk to them about um, any upcoming research that we could do for either that sprint or maybe even later down the line. And uh, also that was a great way to get like input and feedback from developers and actually see what they're doing. And, and um, you know, I'm not saying that if you're a researcher of one and you are working for several different teams, it doesn't mean you have to sit in like 10 hours of sprint planning meetings every two weeks, but make time to, be there and arrive and um just alignment can also be fairly quick i think um, so that would was a big level up in my um yeah and this way you can also get some nice insights because yeah you will say yeah you will talk about some research you will do and they can tell yeah. you to ask also about this or that because yeah they are thinking yeah. about this in the future so it can come in handy Oh yeah, absolutely. I've I've definitely uh, like uh, borrowed some questions from my teammates uh, to use in interviews. So yeah, agreed. Yeah, it's it's supposed to be a standard, I guess. Just you know, have this input insight from 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 designers, UX researchers. Yeah, I I guess it is, but like I think we sometimes maybe we sometimes forget that even if you at a company like have a very um, like rigorous and very like um, let's say well-defined research um, planning process uh, you can always I think it's useful to make time for those in-person or let's say zoom interactions that don't live within like a document or like a 
uh, a feature brief or like a research brief even that that someone else has written um and yeah i i didn't realize just how valuable this extra 45 minutes to my weekly schedule um could be but it made a huge difference um Basim, what tip would you give to someone who's at the start of their design career um i'm i'm like this is a, uh, this is a really interesting question because um I am engaging with a lot of people who are like at the start of their career. Like, and one thing I'm grateful for is that I'm like being approached by people with these kinds of questions. And like, um, I've uh, spoken to people who have just started their first UX job or their internship or something. I think when you're just starting your career, um, and let's say you're, you know, entering your, um, first company or first internship or whatever it might be, um just chill a little bit like because i think there's like maybe a there is a tendency that i see especially with people who are like really into like um really into design really excited about it um i think there's this tendency to want to like really go in like hit the ground running um do everything that's possible like to like maybe um demonstrate your value or to like uh, get involved with stuff but um i think my my advice would be to like spend your first weeks understanding the problem before trying to solve it because um i've seen like the common mistakes of like wanting to plan and do their first ux project or you know uh, research interview or user test or make their first prototype within the first week or weeks that they're there I don't think that that's um, a great way of going about things because it takes time to understand uh, your company. It takes even more time to understand your colleagues. It takes uh, significant time to understand what the heck your company does and why, where it's going and where it's come from. Um, so I would really recommend like spending those first weeks making those connections, speaking to people, Um, understanding stuff and then once that starts to get a little bit boring then maybe start working on the problem um i i i think it takes me like two to three months to to really feel like i've settled into any new company and i've been doing this for like over six years so um, yeah. that's so what i would recommend so it's not look for, for just for the you know um new um designers it's, it's just re repeating process right when you joining the company the the product um yeah. the challenge right that's what i would say and 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 i think um if you um look up the like notion of a stakeholder interview i think you know maybe uh, maybe it's quite obvious what it is but if you look into what is how a stakeholder interview can be structured who you'd like to speak to um and actually like almost approaching that like a research project it's also super interesting because once you've spoken to let's say i don't know 10 of your closest stakeholders maybe it's less or more depending um on uh you know your company then uh you can start to draw some patterns you can start to see that maybe some people are thinking in a specific way uh, i love to ask like um the question Is there anything that keeps you up at night when it comes to our users? Yeah. Uh -huh. That always gets an interesting response from everyone. Um, and can you, yeah. can you share a um, few with us? Uh, 
I, I, so it's been, it's been like a year and a half since I joined dance. Um, so let me try and let me try and access that part of my brain. <laughs> um, but, uh, I think the general, like I, I'm struggling to think of exact quotes, but I think the general, uh, feelings that people were sharing were just like, um, are people gonna like resonate with what we're doing? Is our messaging clear? Like, do we uh, actually know that uh, people even want to buy into something like this? Um, and I think the the one of the clearest things that I also get out of those conversations is many people are just like, I don't think we know who our user is yet. Uh, at least that's uh, that has been the case for successful companies I've worked for and also for ones which are just starting out the gate or haven't even launched their product yet. Like we don't know who our user is. And I think that's uh, that's usually why I, I've been hired in the past to try and answer that question. But I think that it's a, it's a beauty of the startup, right? You don't know mm. what, what, what is coming. You're very excited yeah. about the product which you are creating, which is probably unique, right? And solving some problems which not not been solved by any other. Um, yeah, so you're hungry of the success, but um, on the other hand, you are scared of how they people use it. Um, if, if, yeah, if they, yeah. They, if they buy it, but not in the um, from the financial perspective, buy it from mm. the you know in the in the meaning of the of the of the feeling needs, right? So yeah, exactly. It was great, and you shared some awesome insights with us. And it was very nice to have you as a guest. So please tell us, where can people find you and how can they connect with you? Yes. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Basim Albacher. Um, feel free to connect with me, send me a message, say hi. Um, if you're in Berlin or in a similar time zone, we can also hop on a call and, and talk about fake news and um, <laughs> uh, any of the other topics that, that I mentioned Um so yeah, just um, find me on LinkedIn. I also have a website, but it's not really being used all that much. But if you want to check it out, it's basim.org. I can't believe I got so lucky with that domain. Um, but yeah, I think I'll still hold on to it for a little while longer. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. And see ya. And thank you so much for also having me. Like I've, uh, you know, as... Uh, <laughs> All of the questions have been awesome. And I think like just talking to, to both of you has been an absolute delight. Um, so yeah, thank you for having me and thank you for the chats. Happy to hear that. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Elite Crew, the software house that helps designers shape the world. If you need help with your project or want to consult technical matters, just drop us a message at elitecrew.io. We'll be happy to help.